Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to High Stakes, Episode 21, a.k.a. Episode, uh, season 2, Episode 1. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter, at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter, at AwesomeYo. And my guest today, I'm excited to have on uh, the underdog, best ball, uh, best ball Mania 2 champ, Liam Murphy, uh, he is at Chess Liam on Twitter. Liam won one will one million and one dollars last year in best ball, so he bested my Millie Maker. He got one extra dollar. Uh, congrats to that, Liam. Liam, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Uh, just got back from a bachelor party, so going to be a little bit lower energy. I'm a little little sick and under the weather, but excited to uh, talk to you today. How, how often do you go to bachelor parties? Because as I recall, you were at a bachelor party when you won Best Ball Mania 2. Is that correct? Yeah, it, actually the same crew of dudes. Um, one, one of the other guys is getting married and just happened to have a bachelor party up in Vermont. We were on Lake Champlain. It was really beautiful. It was a great time. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple down bad dudes. Like, you know, had too, had too many Budweiser's one day. Had some real, real lows, some real highs of that weekend. <laughs> All right. So you say up in Vermont, or are you, uh, do you live? No, you live in St. Petersburg, Florida. I know where you live because yeah, it's, I, uh, I grew up in New Hampshire though. So I got okay. a, lot of, a lot of friends up, up there, New Hampshire. So f- how far were, cause you're, you're a Buffalo Bills fan where you, uh, you grew up a Bills fan. Is that a common thing where you're, where you're from in New Hampshire? No. So my dad grew up in Buffalo. And so I grew up watching the Bills games. Like one of my first memories in the NFL, I think was the music city miracle. Um, the Bills Titans playoff game. And um, the, so that was one of my first memories, but you know, I, you know, everyone was a Patriots fan where I grew up and that's how, you know, I'm a loyal bills, bills fan, because, you know, obviously the kids at school would give me shit and the bills were not that good, um, <laughs> those years. Um, but I stuck with them and it, it's coming up me now. So I assume you're not, uh, old enough to remember when the bills went to the Super Bowl. Was it like three years in a row and lost every time? No, I'm 29. You know, I was okay. born in 92, so that did not remember those years. But, yeah, that was uh, like right when you were born, as I recall, early 90s. Yeah. But there's okay. some there's some relics from um, because one of those Super Bowls was in Tampa, so I find sometimes like uh, thrift, you know, coats in the thrift shops and whatnot. Okay, uh, and, and 
people listening might not know. The reason I know that you live in St. Petersburg, Florida is because uh, that's something you have in common with the best ball one champ, Justin Herzig, also lives in St. Petersburg, Florida. Is there something in the water in St. Petersburg? Are there seminars going on about best ball? What do you think it is? Why, why is everybody winning from St. Petersburg? Good vibes, good weather, um, sharp drafters, you know? All right. That, that's all it takes, huh? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, a lot of people don't know me as a best ball guy, uh, just because I have never won anything at best ball. So I guess why would people know me as a best ball guy at all? But I, I maxed out uh, best ball mania two last year as well. Uh, I am super into best ball. I'm going to max out again this year. I'll probably max out at least one, you know, DraftKings best ball, uh, maybe drafters now that I'm seeing that it might, it might overlay. I'm kind of focusing there, um, but I'm super excited to have you on uh, as, as a guy who clearly knows best ball really well. Uh, you won last year, you started your own uh, stream. Now you, you have your own YouTube channel where you uh, just do a lot of best ball drafts. Are you doing, is that like a daily thing? Are you doing a draft with the champ stream every day? You know, we have no vision. Um, we Rob- being you, or is it, are there more people in, involved? Yeah, the royal we, so me. Okay. me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I, I have no vision really for the channel. Um, just figure, you know, like I think if I was trying to earn money through content, you know, I need to like, I need to make the, this is how I made a million dollars and I need to start making TikToks and I need yep. to be on Snapchat and Instagram. Um, I think ultimately I have a good idea for some chess content that I'm going to get back into. Um, so, you know, like I think, if you're someone who's working a nine to five, like I was, and you know, you, you, you think that if you earn a lot of money, just like, Oh, now life is set. But like, you know, like the truth is you can't spend your day just like watching TV and sitting around the house. You need to, you need to do something. Um, and so learning a bit of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial skills. Um, and I think, you know, I don't really know the vision for the channel. Once the season starts, um, had a lot of great big guests that I really enjoy the conversations with there going to have you on in a couple of weeks, I think, um, you know, like might, might do some DFS stuff. Um, feeling a little burnt out from it, honestly, like really? just, well, just the volume of drafts and just doing the streams and, um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, like just something to do and we'll see what it, what it comes into and, and trying to build in revenue. I quit my job for those who don't know, after I won best ball mania two, I used to work for chess.com. Um, and trying to build in revenue streams that can, whatever, compound over time. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I mean, a million bucks is nice. It's a lot of great, great money uh, to have when you're 29, but a million bucks when you're 29 is not going to last you the rest of your life, uh, which I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize. Like, you want a million bucks, you can quit, you retire now. It's like, no, a million bucks is great. It's a lot of money, more money than I've ever had in my life. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't last you the rest of your life. So you do need to find uh, other ways to make money. Um, one thing that I've noticed about you, so so one of the my, my best qualities as far as doing this show, I think, is that I'm not afraid to reach out to people to be a guest on this show. Uh, you do these streams every day. So you are, you clearly have that same uh, personality trait where you're just willing to reach out to, to anybody to, to try to get them on best ball streams. Um, are you, what, what percentage of your streams would you say are uh, recorded or are on YouTube these days? Well, so I think I should, st- I mean, yeah. What percentage not, of I'm your not, drafts? I think I said that wrong. What percentage yeah, I, of your best ball drafts? I'm not afraid recording? to be direct and like, you know, I kind of have a background in sales. For those who don't know, I first reached out to Peter Overzet um, and I was with an idea of doing a chess stream with him last summer. I was like, hey, man, um, I think, you know, like I, I knew Pete from because I, I have a background in poker a little bit, like I've been playing for a while and I knew Pete as the man's years ago when I lived in New York City. 
And then I stumbled upon Pete doing uh, fantasy football. I was like, holy shit, is that the man's? And so I just thought that, you know, like Pete's a comedian. He's a funny guy. I thought, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty funny guy. Um, and so I was like, oh, I think we can make some good content. So I just cold messaged him and he's like, yeah, let's give it a try. You know, like credit to Pete. Um, and so we had some chess streams to begin. And then, yeah, like I reach out to a bunch. I reach out to people who I think would be give a unique take on best ball. Because like some people I just know from the high stake lobbies. Um, I try to reach out to some poker people. Some people big time me. They don't respond to me. It doesn't bother me. Um, but yeah, you know, just shoot from the hip and had a lot of you, I think you'd be surprised at how many people are willing to come on a show. And, and I, anytime someone reaches out to me, I try to, especially now, like I try to make time and go on their channel, no matter how big or small they are. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's funny. I, I was uh, watching your stream that you did with uh, Pete Overs at just earlier today. I was, I was rewatching that stream. Um, and I, I had forgotten the, that you knew him as Pete Manzanelli. I don't know Pete Overzet as Pete Manzanelli. Like I know that's a big bit that he does. And it seems to be much bigger than I realized going, going back a long ways. That is uh, not something that I have paid a lot of attention to, but it seems like uh, the man's is, is a big player. Um, but so when, when you reached out to Pete, that was before you had, you know, won anything in terms of best ball. Did you have uh, designs on being a DFS or best ball content creator at that time? Cause I mean, clearly you had some interest in, do, in doing content. That's why you reached out to Pete. Were you trying to kind of get into this space and then winning best ball obviously kind of, uh, Gave you a little bit of a head start there. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, no, so my I I had designs of doing chess things. Like, I, you know, I okay. worked through chess.com. And so I know I think I could pretty you know, not easily, but I think I could get a, a channel up and running for chess. I have a couple of different ideas there. And so it was kind of chess centric to begin. Um, I'm a gambler and I've been do like I don't think Pete realized how much best ball I was doing because he like he liked to be like, I'm your best ball coach. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, like Pete, Pete does great stuff with best ball too. But no, it, it wasn't like, hey, this is the, like, I'm, I'm going to get with a fantasy football guy and then I'm going to do this. I mean, I love fantasy football. And so that's why I, I was like, yeah, let's, you know, my, when fate hits you like it has hit me, I was like, I guess I need to get up in these content streets too. But um no, it was not with a deep seated plan to be like, okay. And then I'll segue to fantasy football myself. Um, so still figuring that out. Like, you know, maybe I'll work for a company in fantasy football one day. Um, maybe I'll go get back a, a real person job again, go back to school or something. I don't know. I, you know, I have the freedom right now to take some time and figure it out. And I mean, I'm definitely taking a high risk approach when, you know, like reinvesting quite a bit into best ball this year and plan on firing in DFS once football starts. Are you, uh, are you and Pete still doing those chess streams this year? No, Pete is just so busy. Like he yeah. just has so many different, uh, and like this year, I think it's just gotten more, you know, where, I mean, we might try to get a stream here or there, but his, his schedule is just jam packed. So, um, okay. and having done some, like some streams, like a bunch of days in a row, like I get it where it's like, you want to unplug and, and have your time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, are you, are you a big consumer of DFS and or best ball content? Um, I would say fancy football content. There's a couple, like I listened to the ETR free pods. Um, last year I would listen sometimes to like the ship chasing crew and the, what the people around there, um, DFS, 
like kind of is blended in there with the best ball with those same channels. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like, and I'll listen to like the swole cast. Uh, like I I try to listen to things that make me laugh. Um, but I'm not like, you know, and, and I pick up nuggets from everyone's pod, like, uh, Davis Maddock, he has a bunch of guests on, you have a bunch of guests on. So you learn, you learn from people's processes along the way, but, uh, during season, I don't know how much pods I listen to, um, like the, the summer off season a little bit more, I would say. Okay. So, so like during best ball season, as you were preparing and making your, your teams, uh, last year in best ball, uh, you, you were not like, you know, daily, uh, consuming content to, to hear what's going on in camps and stuff. Were you kind of paying close attention to camp movement, that kind of stuff, or were you kind of more hands-off that kind of stuff? So I think it's tough because it's like, you don't, for me, like, I don't want too many voices in, in my, you know, like yep. I want to trust what my initial lean was um, as far as like other content producers. So like, I, you know, I don't listen to too many, like there, there are times where I would just take breaks and be like, I'm not listening to anyone. I'm just drafting. Uh, news is delicate too. Like I'm kind of new to Twitter where this is like my second year or something on Twitter. So like the direct news like that is just kind of new to me that being so accessible. Um, and I feel like this year is unique with just like the amount of news we've gotten and the, and the amount that the market's not afraid to make a big jump in a unproven player. Uh, things are changing. And luckily for me, like, Luckily for me, a lot of the guys rising, I already kind of had cheaper stands on. Not that that matters exactly um, or like 100%, but it makes it a little bit easier to fade a guy if he goes from an 18th round to a 10th round pick. If you Isaiah Pacheco. Have, yeah, well, well, not him, but like uh, Pickens and, um, oh, yeah. you know, like, like players like that. Gabriel David, you know, like there's plenty of players I can tell you I have cheaper costs of, but it's the whole, it's the whole ADP market in this in a snap of time so um i remember my first year playing best ball which was uh two years ago i only played on dk because i discovered it like a month before the season randomly through the app and there was like a little like that year was unique because people were afraid to draft rookies because of the covid offseason um so i didn't really think that was logical and so like I, and I just remember I had like a huge bag on chase Claypool because I would just like take the same guys at the end of every draft and the market, but the markets just changed a lot. And so, but I remember there was like, there are some quotes I will trust and it's like not players. It's not coach speak, but it was like, Eric Ebron was like, he's going to be a problem in this league. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think you just say that about a rookie, like, you know, like a, a he's not like a top five pick, you know? So I was like, okay and whatever it worked out with Claypool that year yeah so I uh so so speaking of like listening to content and like the the rise and fall of players something that I've like started to think about a little bit is do you do do anything to combat like uh so I'm gonna have I draft a lot of Isaiah Pacheco he's an example of a player that I drafted a lot in the 18th round while he was still going there um and now I draft a lot of like Isaiah likely right so I I'm gonna have a, a you know, probably around the field of Isaiah Pacheco. I'll probably have close to around the field of Isaiah likely his ADP is now jumping. One thing that I'm concerned about is like, I'm never going to have them on the same team because I kind of let the field dictate, uh, you know, where, wh- which players I take. And like, so because Isaiah Pacheco was going in the 18th round and now he's going in the 
12th round sometimes. Uh, maybe that's not his ADP, but maybe 13th, 14th. I don't really take him anymore. And now I'm taking Isaiah Likely, for example, uh, because he's going in the 18th round. And as he rises, I won't take him anymore. So now I'm like, well, I'm never going to have those two players on my same team. And that's just one example that I'm giving. But like, because I'm sort of letting the tides dictate where I like, I'm trying to like, you know, stick a player where they are, where I think they should be. And then I take them when they go on this side of that number. And then I don't take them if they go, you know, uh, earlier than I want them. Then I don't, you know, that the, the tides kind of dictate that I'm going to have uh, sometimes players are going to be who aren't correlated in any way other than their ADPs rise at the same time or fall at the same time. So I'm going to have correlations in my lineups. And I'm like, am I making a mistake by just letting the field dictate, you know, whether I ever have these players? Do you do anything to, to kind of combat that? Do you, you know, say maybe for this draft, I will take Isaiah Pacheco. I'll reach for him in the 13th, 14th round and then get Isaiah likely just as an example, like two players that are for, for those falling. For those only listening in audio form, uh, Neil has the. Uh, have you seen the always sunny Philadelphia? Like the, <laughs> the bunch of different strings. Yeah. He has that board behind me as he explains. <laughs> That's it. right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, why I say that is, is a joke is I think that best ball is a really interesting game for many reasons. Um, I try to take a pretty like it's really complicated and you can have some really positive thoughts there, but we can also get way too in the weeds about some shit that just doesn't matter. Um, what you said, I don't think it doesn't matter. I mean, personally, am I going to stress if I don't have, like, how I like to think about players is how likely is this player going to bury me week 17? So, like, Isaiah Likely. I think Isaiah Likely could be a nice piece. I like him more on 20-round formats. Um, do I see him catching three touchdowns and 150 yards week 17? Not very likely, but it could, it could happen. You know, like, it could happen to anyone. Um, sure. But, and as far as what you, like to sum up what you said, it doesn't really matter if you reach on any individual player, if you can, because you're going to ha always have the uniqueness benefit. Like if you know you're the only one taking Isaiah Pacheco in the fifth round, and therefore you're the only one who has Isaiah Pacheco plus whatever standard ADP, you know, players behind, like that could be a plus EV move if you really have conviction on that player. Um, sure. Like how, how much conviction we should have on these players. Like, I don't, every year we think we know things from preseason and then players are like cut or, yeah. or, you know, Trey Sermon is benched and Elijah Mitchell. And we have no, there's no news. There was nothing. And it was like, Oh, Mitchell's running. Like, how is this possible? But, um, so I don't know. I don't, I try not to like, let every bit of news in preseason bleed over me too much. I think it's one way to be a little bit unique from people who might be sharp, people who might be plugged in. And I think people who are sharp and plugged in make a ton of mistakes. They don't even realize because they're not even, they're not even trying to win the contest. They're doing something they just think is like, you know, like take a, I try to take a top down approach like that. Like how do we win this contest? And that's really hard and complicated. And it's arguable if you can even do, much to do that but i don't know if i answered your question exactly yeah i think you answered it well enough that that's not you don't need to worry too much about that kind of thing and, and i agree with that i and to be clear isaiah likely and isaiah pacheco are just the first two names that i thought yeah, of yeah, as yeah, guys yeah. that are like 18, like damian pierce is a good example of somebody that you used to be able to get him in like i don't know the 15th round and now he's going in the top 100 picks uh you know there, there are a million examples of players that are just their their adp changes a lot over time and yeah and i'm a little bit just concerned about like, you know, my, my early draft correlations, like those players that I liked at that point are going to be different than the players that I like now. But I think that you're right that ultimately, you know, that shouldn't be 
a huge that should clearly not be like the number one factor in how you build but just something that i'm thinking about a well, little bit well maybe i misunderstood your question so like are you saying like if a player rises a lot should we stop drafting them is that what you're trying to say because, no, because so, so what i'm trying to say is so, so if you like damian pierce as a 12th rounder as an example yes. and you also like uh romeo oh man i'm trying to think of somebody who kind of crisped him crisscrossed him uh, uh in, in the who yeah. dropped yeah so so if you so say uh, you like them both as 12th rounders but they crossed. Williams. yeah jameson williams so you were you were maybe getting a lot of damian pierce when he was going in the 13th 14th round now that he's going earlier and, and then somebody you know crisscrossed him somebody who was going uh who is going too early and you were never taking them has dropped. And now you're getting a lot of that player. You're going to have, you know, the, the right number of, you know, the, the number that you want of Damian Pierce lineups and the number that you want of Jamison Williams lineups, but they're never going to be together because they, you know, they kind of crisscrossed and uh, they were never both going where you think they should be going. At one point, Damian Pierce was going lower than you sh thought he should go and you're getting a lot. And at that same point, uh, Jamison Williams is doing the opposite. He was going higher than you thought he should go. Now he's going uh, you know, lower. So now you're getting a lot of Jameson Williams, but you're no longer getting Damian Pierce. So you won't have any lineups that have both of them in it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I think well, that you were kind of saying that you don't think that, you know, you should really get too far into the weeds there, um, well, which, well, is, which I like think is probably two true. Individual play, like unless those two players, you so strongly like if someone out there is like, no, Dubs is going to have 1200 yards and 18, like it doesn't matter what round you take a guy that's going to have 1200 yards and 18 touchdowns. Like that's a good pick, right? right? Um, but yeah, like it really depends on your conviction on the on those individual players. As far as like what should we do when players really do jump jump? Because I think Damian Pierce is interesting. Um, and I would use Daryl Henderson as an example last year where post Cam Akers injury. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daryl Henderson went from like a 10th, 12th round pick to a 4th round pick. I was not drafting Henderson with the idea that like, I just don't think that if Henderson is a piece you need in playoffs slash finals, you can compete with the super teams there. Um, sure. That was my thought back then. Now thinking about now, it's really just about like, what do you think the probability a whatever 14, a 12th round pick can have produce a spike week at the same probability of fourth round pick for those playoffs. And like, you know, like there's going to be years where a fourth, a bunch of fourth rounders get injured. We kind of saw a little bit of that last year. So, or you could find someone who produces plenty of points. Um, so it's not like a always do this, always do that. But yeah, to answer that exact question of like, 
I, I don't, I personally don't stress. Like I know there's so many hubs and whatnot, and that's a whole nother discussion. Like I don't stress, like, do I have enough of X and Y together on the same team? I have convictions on players. I want to have big stands on, and I just try to jam them in all as many lineups and then fl- flower them around with a bunch of different players as ADP happens. Okay. Yeah. That works for me. And to be clear, I, I also don't just mean like two individual players. I guess I mean like clumps of players. Like I, yeah. I worry that, you know, as I'm drafting all summer, I'm going to have a lot of these like five players together and these five, not, I don't know. So it's a, because things change so much throughout the summer, but uh, I think that you have adequately answered that question. It was just a question that came to me as we're on air. So not even a really well thought out question, just something that I've, we got in the weeds on a little it, bit. Though. We got in the weeds on We, we got into the weeds a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's take a step back though. Um, so okay. I usually start these, uh, these streams by asking people a little bit about their background and you're actually, as I was telling you before we got on air, uh, you're the first person that I've had on that I think of as being a primarily a best ball person. Now, Eric Bymfor, I did have him on and you could argue that he's uh, primarily a best ball player at this point, but he, he was previously uh, primarily a DFS player. So um, so I'm not gonna ask you some of the DFS questions that I think I would normally get into because I wanna focus more of our time on best ball. Yeah. Um, but so, so let's just start, I will ask this one though. What kind of background do you have in statistics? Do you have uh, formal or informal training in statistics or probably? Yeah, so- I uh, went to college for economics and, you know, I, that in college is also when I started playing DFS, like maybe my senior year, um, I would just do a couple lineups. You know, I was, I would play poker sometimes too. being in Florida. You could play below the age of 21. Um, my senior year, uh, my senior year, you have to, you have a thesis paper you have to write. And I wrote a regression analysis paper. It was like a hundred pages long on predicting the success of wide receivers in the NFL. Um, At the time, I thought I wanted to go work for an NFL team in their analytics department. Um, And also, I approached a couple of people in the mathematics department at my school and the econ club who I thought were smart, really with the idea of also doing, um, basically building like, trying to build some of the tools we see today for DFS being like, Hey guys, like, you know, I was reading a little bit about it. And I think my strength in data is I think I'm really good at like intuitively thinking about what kind of independent variables to include. I know my weak, like weakness wise, like I don't have coding skills to scrape data online. So like building data sets is not something I can do, but I think I'm good at, um, I was good at running regressions and, and interpreting and writing about and communicating and, uh, and doing that. Um, and so I did that. I need to find that paper because the R squared I had of like predicting, I, like I used my uh, dependent variable as far as like what, what measures success as like a composite of yards accrued in the first three seasons and touchdowns converted to yards based on some paper I found, but yard squared was like 0.7 or something just off of like college stats and, um, um, you know, combine data. And so I think that was my interest. Obviously applying to being an analytics department in 2015 was a daunting task. And also like, I didn't know if I wanted to go live in some bum city, if I could even find a team that would hire some, college graduate with no no like i didn't go to you know i don't have a phd or anything in stats um 
if I were to go back to school, I think I would go back for something in data science just because that that interests me. It's, it's tough. It was like, I feel like I've had jobs with people skills. Like I used to be a teacher, mm-hmm. um, a chess teacher in New York City. And I really like talking to people, but I also like analyzing data that's fun to me. So I don't know. I, you know, I worked for a forensic economics firm for a bit. Um, I worked for a tech startup. I was a teacher, worked for chess.com and uh, am here today. And I played DF, I played, I only play NFL and I've been playing, I don't know, since 2015 or something. Okay. So, so clearly you have a very strong analytics background and also uh, analytics related to sports background. It sounds like you, uh, you know, goes pretty deep. Um, and so that obviously that uh, probably informs your intuition to some extent. Uh, did you use your analytics uh, background at all otherwise in terms of best ball last year? So, so when you were building your lineups or this year building your lineups, you're, you're not using that at all? You shook your no, head. No, like I'm not like building models to like. Okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. You're not doing Yeah, anything. Yeah, like for me, how do I draft best ball teams? It's I think a lot about the game of best ball. And I think one of one of the things I'm uniquely good at is I'm really good at games, especially when they're brand new and they're not there's not room for someone to work harder than me with information that's correct. And that's why I like best ball, especially because there's some really sharp, smart people here who will put their nose to the grindstone. But I don't even know if there's the correct data or whatnot to tell. Like I've had I've had Dan Zach, the WSOP player of the year on my channel to talk about this. And he shared with me some stuff that he did because he did code up some best ball stuff. And like, I just flat out don't think it's correct to try to optimize the win. I think it's I think he did some stuff that makes sense but like i just didn't agree with some of what it was and or what he was trying to solve for he wasn't trying to solve for winning the contest he was trying to solve for how do you advance and you know i know that's a whole nother argument in itself but i'm firmly on the side that advancing is not how you win the contest um especially in the really large field gpp so and also like i read historical analysis that I find like when I first got into best ball two years ago, you could find almost nothing because there just wasn't big enough contests. But I think a lot of historical analysis misses the point where I just don't think people realize how different the draft landscape is year over year. Um, So you can't just apply things that worked in the past and, or you can misapply that very easily. Like I think it's good to know it. It's good to know, Oh, how did August teams do last year? It's good to know how, how running back builds did last year, but it legitimately does not matter if the landscape is wildly different today. Yep. And, and do, do you believe that the landscape has gotten dramatically better over the, the past couple of years? I mean, you, you say, as you say, it's a very new game. Best ball is clearly not solved at this point, um, but do you think the field is getting better? Yeah, I think the field is definitely sharper. Um, like, you know, the first just think about the, who the first round pick players were two years ago. And, you know, I did a, uh, Pat Corain wrote a great article and we kind of applied, I made a video kind of talking about the, the draft landscape of today, looking at the draft board I won with and looking Mm -hmm. at one I did like the other night and, you know, like the, the running back dead zone, quote unquote, that has shifted. Um, how many wide receivers go in the first couple rounds that has shifted. Um, where rookies go, where veterans go, that shifted, where quarterbacks go. That, and obviously it's unique to each site. Like I'm talking primarily 
through underdog here, but like, you know, different sites will like DraftKings really takes quarterbacks high. Um, so like in some senses, yes. And it's interesting because like I'm in these high stakes streets and like, I would argue the high stakes best balls are, could be the softest um, out there. And maybe that's because those people are so wealthy. They uh, it's like a tax write off to them mm-hmm. or they have such a big ego. They think that they can auto draft. Like when I sign in in the morning and like a $555 best ball and three of the people are on auto draft, I'm just like, I'm like, how do I not max this? Like, I don't yeah. exactly want to invest $30,000 in one tournament, but like, like, do I think I like, to me, they're paying the rate as far as winning. Now it's a smaller field. So an auto drafter is more likely to win it. But um, I definitely think people have gotten sharper because there's more, there's more content about it. There's, you know, um, so and what and what's the con- like what will be the next steps it will be eventually there will be like uh just like alpha go attack chess attacked poker eventually there will be something like that for best ball i think okay um so so touching on you mentioned that you think that where different types of players positions are being drafted has changed over the years uh do you think that is a wide receiver is being drafted earlier? Is that, you know, sh- where the sharper money is going or do, do you have a, a typical type of build that you do in terms of like, are you a zero RB builder where you don't take any running backs in the first few rounds? Or are you, uh, are you a RB anchor builder where you just take one RB early on or, or do you not have a standard type of build that you do? I do them all. I do all the builds um, because, you know, they're all logical to me. I think, I, and I think it's, if someone wanted to say, hey, uh, look, you're playing the nature of a tournament is you're playing a high variance contest anyway. So if someone wanted to say, I'm going to do all my teams here, running back or all my teams do like, great, that's fine. You're just taking a higher variance approach to what you're doing. I do do all the different builds. I do some builds that are just I think are unique um, and still could win. I do. It, it's It's sharper in many different ways. Like this year. You know, like take a player like, I don't know, Gabriel Davis. In years past, I just refuse to believe that like people and they still need to like people need to see it to to believe it for large for like people are less. They don't need to see it as much anymore. They understand that players can make jumps and that occur or and they're not afraid of being like this guy's going to fall off a cliff. You know, like like Zeke is probably a first round pick still two years ago, if this was just that, that draft landscape. Um, right. So I think it's gotten sharper in some ways. I still think there's plenty of edge. There's plenty of people who don't give any thought and are just doing whatever. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's even hard to like estimate what, what a sharp drafters edge is. Right. Uh, ultimately, true. like I'm just trying to draft one winner across my portfolio, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> So, so you mentioned Gabe Davis. You, you gave the example of Gabe Davis. You had like 50 or 60% Gabe Davis, did you not? Yeah. And that was taking a leap because he was buried on the depth chart. He was like the number four or five Bills receiver coming into last year. At least I thought so as a as a non-Bills fan. So maybe I just didn't know what you knew as far as, but I thought, you know, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders, obviously Stefan Diggs, I thought they were all ahead of Gabe Davis. So in my mind, I was not drafting a ton of Gabe Davis. Um, but I, here's a question that I want to get around to. It's not about Gabe Davis. I know you, sure. you'd love to talk about Gabe Davis, who was not on your winning lineup, uh, in your winning lineup somehow. No. Um, but the question that I want to get around to is what, 
how do you feel about taking a stand on players in general? Are you okay with uh, if, if a player is that you really love is going in the 18th round or undrafted every time, are you okay with having a hundred percent of a player? Yeah. So I think the way we're talking about this, we're talking about large field GPP. So yes, yep, for yep. large field GPP, because that's what almost everyone listening is playing, uh, you know, that would be listening to this is yes. It you, first, it starts with, you need to look at what the prize pool is. And when a content, let's talk about BBM three right now. First prize is $2 million. 10th place out of 455,000 people is $20,000, right? $20,000 is a lot of money, but it is not $2 million, right? For example, if I had gotten second in BBM two, I would not have quit my job. It would, I would have gotten 250K instead of a million and one dollars, um, right? So like after taxes, that's a really great, I would have gone on vacation, would have had a nice little retirement fund, um, but would have kept on working every day, right? And so, yes, I'm not afraid, because I treat it as an individual DFS slate. Right. Like I understand the time horizon is is a long time, but the truth is you are going to lose almost every year. Right. So if you have conviction on a player, it does not bother me if a player gets hurt like that leaves a bad taste in some players mouths where if you have a lot of a player and they get hurt, look, that sucks. I'm sorry. You lose just like every other year you lose. Yep. But, you know, I took some high stands on a lot of players. And I'll do that at different positions because I think some positions are more talent based mm -hmm. and you can, you, you know, like I had lots of big hits on my stands. I had lots of big misses on my fades too. It's like I had some good fades. I had some bad fades uh, last year, you know, it worked out, but like I had a Cooper ton of Cup. Jamar. I had a ton of Jamar chase. I had a ton of Mike Williams. I had a ton of Michael Pittman. I had a ton. Like I also had no LaVisca. I had no Jerry Judy. You know, like some of these were good process, good results. Some of these were bad process. Like I would argue Jerry Judy, I think I got lucky because um, I think that hot, like I think he would have crushed without the high ankle sprain. Um, Derrick Henry too. So, and the leaning into the variance can help you a lot because, um, you know, i.e. I had big bags of MVS and Gabe Davis. Those guys really helped me advance. I advanced below mathematical expectation for um to the playoffs mm -hmm. but i advanced like six teams to the semifinals which was like you know advanced rates was one out of nine two out of 18 um because i had big stands on players who did well those weeks right now that was high variance you could argue that's luck like why did i have big stands on those players i thought they were good i thought they'd score touchdowns um that's what matters for underdog fantasy and, and I thought, you know, like Gabe Davis, Cole Beasley is 34 and short. Emmanuel Sanders was old and not that tall himself. Like, so there's reasons I'm taking some of these stands and some of the stuff I like, I don't think I had this all figured out while I was doing it last year. Some of the stuff I've reflected on, like in many ways, I think I'm a better player this year. And that's just gonna, that's just gonna happen when you're playing such a new game and yep. you're going to reflect positively sometimes like in some ways i think i'm worse this year like that you know in, in other ways um where i've noticed i i still have some big stands in my portfolio but everything is a little bit more smoothed out at some of the positions and maybe it's just the sheer volume of drafts i've done on because mm -hmm. i'm maxing drafters i'm maxing uh dk i'm maxing best ball mania three um 
So, yeah. How much, how many lineups think you're going to have this year? Uh, all told. We'll have 150, 150, 150. So that's 450 just in the Millie maker type fields for drafters, DK and the underdog. Yep. Um, I have some on FFPC. I, I don't know, maybe five to 600. Okay. So your, uh, your volume isn't really that insane. That's probably, I'll, I'll probably be not too far off there. Maybe yeah. I'll like, and I don't do, that. I don't like, I don't, I'm not doing these Pomeranians. Like I, I'm trying to put myself in position to get big lucky. Like I'm not trying yeah. to win five thousand dollars. I'm I know, yeah, to, I'm not doing those either. Like I would, I'll play like the puppy one, like the two hundred k puppy. I'll play that. Um, so I got I got fifth in puppy one two last year off of like ten yeah. entrants. That was a nice little bonus too. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it, it's great if people love playing those with five thousand first. That doesn't do it for me if i'm going to be putting money in it's going to be there for an entire season i'm i want to have a chance to win you know a lot more than that but i get it i get it why people want to do those uh all right so so back to uh just talking about you you mentioned that there are what four hundred and fifty thousand people in best ball mania too uh this year the winner of the regular season also wins a millie so it doesn't even factor in the playoffs does that uh does that factor in for you at all when you're building your lineups so I mean, obviously, we should talk the drafters. That's the format, right? It's just who right. scores the most points. So I'm a little. I did a little research just because it's newer to me, and personally, how I used to think about it, and how I still think about it a little bit, is that I think the playoff format, best balls, is a more strategic game. Um, there's just more, a lot more strategy when you have to think about what is good. Like in my opinion, versus like how do you win? Drafters, how do you win? This is you. You draft the the league winners, and you have a you have you have the most league winners on your team, right? Which I don't think there's as much strategy. Like there's strategy in evaluating the players, and there's a little strategy of like maybe you want running backs earlier, um, because maybe you want some olds and rookies, whatever. There's still strategy there, but it's not as in depth to me personally. Um, I don't really draft any best ball mania three teams with the idea of this one, I'm trying to be first out of 455,000 people. Like I would have liked to see them do that a lot differently, at least do top 100 or something. I I don't know. An all or nothing type thing. Now I think you can do it sharply. Like I, I think you can do that and still build a good playoff team. So I think I'm doing that just by nature a little bit. Um, Right. Yeah, if you're if you're correlating your lineups for like within the same team, uh, and, and I guess not factoring in the the week seventeen or that kind of stuff, uh, you can still you know build in some natural correlation that you know correlation within a team. That's correlation for the entire year too. It's not just for week seventeen. So that's going to help you potentially win uh, the regular season too. Yeah, I mean, and you I, could like maybe you don't draft DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe you add some more olds if you're yep. trying to do that. Maybe you start running back, running back running back and you build hyper fragile. Um, it's a little bit rooted in my mind too, just because I'm up on drafters as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing because I, that was the exact example I was going to give is that I think sometimes I have chosen not to take Deandre Hopkins because I've thought this team, I think this team maybe has a chance at winning first place in the regular season. And I think 
retro uh, in retrospect i'm like does that really make sense out of 450,000 people one person wins should i really be factoring it in at all which is which is why i asked that question because there are a few of those players like deandre hopkins where i'm like yeah he's not playing for the first six weeks or whatever but uh i probably shouldn't be fa- i should probably just be trying to win the playoffs and not just trying to win the regular season at all because that is such a long shot lottery ticket either way uh, yeah so I and i mean with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who's to say that Hopkins or Chris Godwin could not be on the regular season champion like that? Right. I could like if they if they just start stringing together 25 point games when they're back. Yeah. They're gonna that, they're gonna be on. Yeah. Right. That's, um, yep. But yeah, like. I usually draft with the playoffs in mind and it's, it's a happy accident. If I have like um, that happen, you know, like the little bit I can share about what I know the team who did score the most points in the regular season last year for underdog is they were not, they did not really draft off of ADP. Like, I mean, this team obviously had James Connor, it had Leonard Fournette, it had market. So not only was it like sharp player evaluations, but they also reach to get those guys. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the reaching to get the guys, makes a lot of sense where you're just making a very unique team, which makes a lot of sense. If you're trying to score the most points in the regular season, you just have a unique build, which also could be good for the playoff rounds. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes back to another thought, you know, so I mentioned earlier uh, players, ADP is rising and falling and kind of, you know, have a place where you like them. And so you don't end up on them together. I sometimes think about that in terms of just ADP in general, like a lot of people are going to have the same, you know, uh, pick one is going to be Jonathan Taylor, whoever it is uh, in the, in the first or your first three picks are going to be highly correlated within lineups to players whose ADPs are around 24, 25. Like there, there's yes. going to be just like where the ADPs are. So I think it probably makes a lot of sense to just reach sometimes or just like really pay attention to, unique combinations of players because i think that is a trap that it's really easy to fall into the the adp trap of like okay well now i you know i at the turn of, of season uh, of a uh, uh, round two and three now i look i'm looking at players who are adp from 22 to 30 essentially and if you just kind of expand that and try to find uh unique sets of players that, that's one way to set yours uh, yeah set, that's set something i apart. did i did a lot last year so and last year was easier to do for me because it's a complicated discussion, right? Yep. Personally, I did not draft Ezekiel Elliott. I did not draft Derrick Henry. And I did not draft Alvin Kamara. Instead, I was taking, like, and I had, I was taking, like, Stefan Diggs a lot there. And I was taking sometimes, like, Austin Eckler, but usually Diggs. And so Diggs was, like, the guy who, like, I just had very unique player comp. Because it's unquestionably positive EV to me to do that. Yep. But if you're asking me this year, I don't really want to fade any, like, I feel like this is a unique year. I don't want to fade any of the top six guys. I don't want to fade um, Eckler plus chase, you know, like all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think all those guys are like really great picks unique where in two years past, like we've, we've not had an as efficient as a top of draft in my personal opinion Um, where I would do it more 
is at the back end of the draft. And why it's also complicated to do is if you're drafting throughout the course of the offseason, you could think you're getting these unique stands of players at the top of draft. And then that player just naturally over the court, like you could be like, oh, I'm taking Mark Andrews at the one two turn to start the season when he was, and then he actually got up to the one two turn right. and he fell back down. Right. So, yep. and one of the most plus EV ways to draft is when you get unique player combos below ADP that no one else has got, no one else in the contest has had. So, right. like, and so in every draft, once in a blue moon, you'll find a draft where whatever AJ Brown falls to the fourth round because you're in a draft room that doesn't like the, you know, like whatever the, yeah, it right. can happen. And then, so you can get that unique. And if you are reaching early and you forgo that ever happened, that opportunity. Like, yep. Yes. And like, I remember, like I had, I had some very unique, like, I still remember like, Oh man, I have the only, uh, one of the, like I have to have one of the only like Dalvin cook, Antonio Gibson, Najee Harris starts last year, back when like two of those guys were two, three turns, or I had like a Devonte Adams CMC team. I'm like, wow, this is so rare and unique. Um, yeah. Now. So like, and it's, so like, I think it's something you should do more as the season gets closer to starting because you kind of have all the info, but ultimately, you know, like it's also going to be totally unique, the back end of your roster. So it's only if, the first, second, third round players score the most points in week 17 when it is when it really matters, you know? Yep. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Leah Murphy to tell you about our sponsor, Odd Shopper. Make your best bets in 30 seconds or less with Odd Shopper. With hundreds of bets featured daily, Odd Shopper gives you the edge you need betting player props and game lines across all sports. Sign up for free now via the link in the video description below to gain access to our proprietary data, which will help you make your best bets. With expected win percentages and ROIs included, Odd Shopper uses the same DFS projections we use here at Stochastic to filter out the best bets available. Odd Shopper also features a parlay builder with with optimized parlays and an arbitrage tool that identifies risk-free guaranteed profit bets that you can make across sports books. All right. So I, I brought up this listener question, pulled it up because we were kind of getting into it already talking about the drafters format uh, and continue and considering the, uh, the regular season winner on underdog. Uh, so theoretical had a listener question, ask him if he thinks the future optimal format of best ball is the current one where you essentially tie up money for five plus months for what amounts to a week 17 GPP, or if total points leagues are a better indicator of drafting ability and more fun in general, you, you sort of already uh, answered this question, but if you want to add yeah, I mean, to it, look, I mean, I like drafters now too. I think it, it is a different part of the brain, but I think there's a lot more strategy in playoff formats. That's just personally what I think. Yep. Like, I don't think, how much strategy is it to just jam all the league winners on one team? The, the, the strategy is draft the best players, right? Which you could art, you know, people like to throw up their hands. This is a complicated game. So they don't like to think about my new edges that could or could be useful. They like to throw up their hands, draft the best players, right? Yep. Which is like, fine. Okay, do that. I like to, I think about lots of nuanced micro edges that I'm trying to grind. Like, you know, I had a big bag on Chris Carson and Rashad Penny last year because they played the Lions week 17, right? Yep. And I thought the Lions would have a bad run defense and that happened to be right, uh, right? But like, you know, whatever, it, it's, it's a high variance thing. It's a very chaotic anyways. I don't think the future is 
strictly season long. I think it will be, I don't know. It's like, what can underdog do? They can't release like a $200 million contest next year. You know, like there's going to be formats where it goes throughout the Super Bowl. So there's going to be formats where it includes the playoff weeks. Um, I don't really know what the future of best ball is. Hopefully the future is that it gets picked up on, like they start talking about it on Monday night football. Like, you know, Hey, don't worry about that managed. Like it gets in with a more casual crowd and I don't know, yep. just more contests tying yeah. up your money is not the most ideal thing, but it's better than investing your money. If the market goes down, you know, like if the market goes up, you feel like an idiot, but I, I don't know. It's a, it's a yep. complicated thing anyways. And, and draft, or sorry, uh, underdog also does a great thing, I think, by releasing the money that you've already won each round. So after you have moved on to round two, they'll release to you whatever guaranteed money you have from it, from getting to the playoffs, uh, which is kind of cool. So they they try to mitigate it at least a little bit. You're still yeah, tied good up luck with DK. For, DK's getting yeah, the max. will not be doing that probably anytime soon. Um, yeah, I think that the so so the formats question. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that ideally we just have more of both because I think that it's different types of players. I mean, you are a chess player. You're clearly like you like the puzzle of best ball and the puzzle, I think, is more interesting when you have those playoff weeks factored in. And then there's also people who are just like super into football and like getting into the weeds with football and like having the best player picks. And for them, maybe just having the, the drafters kind of format where it's just and I'm both season. like that, like like yeah. I, like I do that, too. And and I understand like. So there are I'm I noticed there's a lot of big fantasy football accounts his, like who historically can just do hashtag player takes and they're not thrilled. Some of them are not thrilled that game theory and the game because people are gambling on best ball. Right. And that's yeah. what they want to hear about. They want to hear about your player takes to win money in best ball is really what's kind of happening in the summer. They're not caring about your player takes to win their home league anymore. Right. right? Yeah. So you need to adapt as a big content creator. And I understand why some people just want to be like, they just want to talk about football players, which yeah. I, I love football, right? Like I watch all the games. Um, so like I, that's part of like, I, am I grinding film in the off season? No, but I remember the, you know, how players look playing. I, I look at that type of stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's there's different things you need to be looking at and uh, to, to be the best you can be. You kind of have to be a, uh, somebody who kind of likes puzzles, who likes game theory a little bit, and then also who kind of likes the data. And yeah, you know, and to be clear, like it. I'm probably, you know, there's no, maybe I'm not even a good best ball player. Who knows, right? The, the, I think I am, I approach it thoughtfully, but I think other things that people should realize is you should not use a one year sample to measure if you're good at best ball, right? You know, if yep. your, if your results were, you lose all your money one year, you lose all your money a second year, you lose all your money a third year, you win the contest the fourth year, you want a lot of money. If instead of you min cash, you min cash, you min cash, you min cash, right? Yeah. And people just draft too safe. They don't want to lose rather than like, they don't, they don't take a, a high risk portfolio for the high risk game they're playing. And I think I, people are doing that more now. Like I think, yeah. Like my my, my voice is, is helped a little bit with that and other people yep. have thought about it more um but i think people are more like like just like random people be like oh yeah i have a ton of this guy now you yeah know? yeah no I, I appreciate you saying that as somebody who has had no success at best ball i've yet to get to a championship round in best ball and i'm like man am i just bad at this and then i i have to take, take a step back and be like i've really only played two 
150 lineup slates so far. So, so to not yeah. have a lot of success in those two one, yeah, it's not it's not a huge thing. But uh, the same thing also applies to DFS. I mean, bad DFS yeah. players win the millimaker maker all the time, um, and there there's a lot more millimakers in DFS, so it's not quite the same. So far, I think that honestly, everybody that I've seen who has won in best ball has been a sharp, which I think uh, kind of makes us think like. Yeah, like how disastrous would it have been if like I auto drafted the winner? Like that would right. not have that would not have been good, right? Yeah. Like, and I mean for a really large field GPP, like you either need to get really lucky with your auto drafted team. Um, yeah. I just don't think it's that feasible to yeah, to, it, it's tough to win that way. Yeah. Underdog makes it a little bit easier because uh unlike unlike DraftKings again, on underdog you can at least set like the parameters of how many at each position you'd want. So like it's a little bit easier in that way, which I wonder if that's why some people in the high stakes contests are uh, letting it auto draft because they're thinking it's a small enough contest. The correlation doesn't matter as much. I just want to get, you know, the, the best players that I can. So they're letting it go to auto draft. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. It's still a, it's a lot tougher to win if you're auto drafting than it is if you are correlating and even correlating, not e- even if it's not like, you know, quarterback to wide receiver, just correlating like, okay, I've got these two anchor running backs. Now I'm going to, you know, wait and draft you know, uh, more, more risky running backs at the end. Like you need, there's so much things that you need to be correlating, like within your position groups and like quarterback to wide receiver and, and stuff. So uh, yeah, to the, me, it's, it's like uh, the position limits obviously help. And um, I, I have an idea of what I would do if I was auto drafting to ensure I kind of got the teams, how I wanted them to look with position limits mm-hmm. where like, I feel like I would move up, some of the quarterbacks and do like max two. So yep. I always, I, and I would just be like, okay, I'm going to always have, uh, I'm going to basically fade third round players at the expense of, uh, and, and have fourth round players and get my quarterbacks there. And like, I could, you know, like I could like move up Josh Allen and uh, whatever it would be, like, I think there's things I could do to auto draft it correctly for playoff tournaments. But, um, you know, like I, the, the drafting is part of the fun too. Um, you know, um, along those lines. So here's just something that just came to my mind as you're talking about this concerns about like, well, what if you get, you know, Joe Burrow and Trey Lance? I don't know if those are, but they both have uh, week nine bye weeks, I think they might not, but uh, sometimes yeah, I wonder, maybe. I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this. Sometimes I wonder if I get too cute with my like, okay, I'm going to draft four running backs and they're all going to have different bye weeks. So like, I like go out of my way to make sure <laughs> that my running backs all have different bye weeks. And now as I'm doing it more and more, I'm like, maybe I'm making a mistake because I never have, you know, uh, Antonio Gibson and AJ Dillon, I think have the same bye week for example, like I, I'll like rarely have two running backs with the same bye week So I'm doing it less and less, but how much, so, so, so part of me is concerned that I'm like, I'm trying to make my teams too pretty as opposed to making the teams that are actually going to put up the best numbers. Yeah, so uh, like I would have zero issues having a two quarterbacks with the same buy even. And, and knowing I'm eating a zero um, for a couple of reasons, I think like, yeah, I mean, if you look at the data, sometimes it is like actually 20 points is the difference between advancing or not. But I'm just telling you, like, this is a little anecdotal because it's looking through my teams. A lot of the ways you advance is do you have a league winner? Yes or no. And, you know, like, so like, IE, if you had Cooper cup and Mark Andrews on a team last year, you could advance whatever you want. And so whatever you're exact sacrificing and a little bit of advancement, you're making up for uniqueness. Like especially yep. if like someone like you, who I think is smart, will not do a strategy because you don't think it's good. I think I can 
Like then I'm only drafting against people who are not good at the game. And I think I can sharply build those types of teams. And ultimately you're trying to get, you're not trying to build the highest scoring team. You're trying to build the team that can win probably with the least amount of points or get the luckiest where either you're, you're wanting to get grouped with the worst teams. We like, this is out of your control, but like you, that's what you want. And, you know, so, and you know, like this was a discussion I was having on Twitter today. Like in my opinion, I would rather advance 150 teams on underdog who finish second place rather than first place, because it inherently means I have less league winners and therefore my, my portfolio is unique, more unique than the, than the other playoff teams. Yeah. I, I really like that idea of doing what the sharp players aren't doing in some instances. It's kind of counterintuitive. Like you want to do what the sharp players are doing in general. So the best example that I can think of is uh, 2000, 20 i forget the, the year that i won the Millie, it was like two weeks after i won the millie mike davis christian mccaffrey had been injured mike davis was a starting running back uh for the panthers at four thousand, and he was projected for like 50 percent ownership and i was i was uh at this time given the puzzle like well i know that he's going to be highly owned by the sharp players because he projects so well for four thousand points and i ultimately decided to fade mike davis because i thought yeah, he's probably going to get 12, 13, 14 points at 4,000. And that's a great number. Um, but I would rather hope that he fails, that he does worse, that doesn't score any touchdown, doesn't put up a big number and be on the side of the non-sharp players. So if he's going to be 50% owned, and I think it's going to be majority sharp players who are really paying attention to projections. I would rather do what the people who are not using projections are doing and be competing with them. And the rest of my lineup is still going to be, I'm using projections and I'm, you know, creating uh, highly projected lineups, but I'm, I'm kind of uh, excluding all of those sharp players who are playing Mike Davis. So that's sometimes I like to think about it that way, that, that kind of game theory of sometimes you just want to be knowing uh, who you're going to want to be competing against. And I would rather be competing against non-sharp players uh, at times and, and that would get worked out, but. And it's hard to know when you're in a bubble and like, maybe you're not competing, like, but also here's, a, here's an example. Like many of the content voices I was listening to last year, Eric Bime for Pete, Yep. You know, they all loved LaVisca. So like part, part of the fade and, and Jerry, like part of the fade was not just because I thought he was a bad pick. And like, it was also because all of these sharp people are on this guy. So I can draft literally anyone else and I'm going to be different from them that way. So it's like, A, I don't think he's that good. B, I like, I get this angle here. So it's hard to like think through and know what, sharp quote unquote sharp people are doing but you can kind of get a vibe for it once you uh draft enough teams yeah i'm, I'm very much on twitter so I, I see all the takes on twitter and and i mean i i think that those guys are really sharp and i really respect their opinions but sometimes even doing different than uh the people whose opinions you respect sometimes I think you can find a little bit of edge just by thinking about it you know taking it that extra step of well maybe i don't want to be doing it if all of them are doing this one thing maybe I don't want to be doing that and take my chances, uh, especially if you think the risk reward is, you know, makes sense to do that. And the, the Mike Davis example I gave was I, I wasn't that confident that he was going to be a, a league or a, a slate breaker. So um, yeah, I think that sometimes it makes sense to do that. Um, but moving on. So, so uh, you've talked a lot about um, week 17 kind of correlation. You're concerned about winning the tournament. You're not concerned about just advancing. You you're very focused on, you're trying to win the tournament because it's uh the winner makes so much more than 10th place, for example. Um, so 
A listener question we got from Matthew Wood asked, there has been a lot of focus on week 17 correlation this season for tournaments. Uh, so yeah, we're talking the, the largest field GPPs. How do you negotiate trade-offs in EV between qualifying for the tournament in week 14 and the top heavy payouts for finalists in week 17? Yeah, and like that's not like that's not a question I've gotten that in the weeds in. Like, okay, so I should do XYZ if I'm trying to do one versus the other. Like, look, I'm trying to draft players I think are good. That's definitely part of it. Um, I try to build teams that are unique. That's definitely part of it. My first year playing best ball, I really looked at weeks 15, week 16, week 17, and I would assess. And I, I like, I, I remember I faded Dalvin Cook my first year because I thought he had a tough run defense schedule, like he, which was kind of true in the playoff rounds, but Dalvin Cook was a league winner that year for advancement reasons. So I think that was like, so last year I really just said, how do you win strictly week 17? Let's keep it simple here. Um, I don't think the week 17 has gone. I think some people don't understand what week 17 means. Like obviously week 17 is very important because that's where all the money is. But I think when people, some people are like too in the weeds with this week 17 game stacks, it's like no one's saying reach far above to do it. But you, I think they also don't understand like ways you can stack week 17. You can take two players on a good team facing a bad team and congratulations, you have stacked week 17 and you're just saying a team like the Bucks are going to beat the shit out of a team like the Panthers, right? Like you could take, Godwin and Mike Evans, and that's your week 17 stack. You don't even need a bring back here, right? So there are some teams I do do the bring backs, but you know, like I, I'd ask you, Neil, like you're a bigger DFS shark than me. Let's pretend you are playing uh Millie make. Let's say you're week one. There's a DraftKings Millie maker for 4k for in $400 and change, whatever. Um, it's about 600 people. Are you going to force a bring back? Are you going to bring back your whole lineup? What would you do knee jerk like knee jerk right now? It's a little bit different because you're talking salary versus draft pick, but you know, you rough proxy there. Like, yeah. would you, how often are you forcing bringbacks? Obviously, it depends, right? It does depend. So, typically in the larger field tournaments, I am more likely to force a bringback than like if it's only 600 people in the field, I'm less likely to force a bringback. Um, so, the answer is, I don't know how often I, I force a bring back in a 600 person contest. Uh, I probably don't do it. Um, I think that I correlate. But it is, it like maybe we should be thinking of a draft of a best ball final as, as like maybe it's 10 X the number, like maybe just because it's all super teams that made it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's like, okay, it's 600 people, but it's like a, akin to a 6,000 salary. Yeah. I, like, I don't know, but like, yeah. you, you, you know what I mean there? So yeah. all I say that is because, I know Adam, your who you work with, like he's Adam Sherry. Even, yeah, he gives big pushback on the week 17 things. Yeah. Look, like I'm not correlating every single player. Ultimately, it starts with who do I think could score a lot of points week 17? And that's not always a bring back for me, right? Yeah. I do it sometimes. And it's like, and I'm, and I'm, and I do, there are some games I would more want a bring back for. Um, but there are some games where it's just like, I think this, player can score a lot of points and the, you know, like I think best ball analysis is pretty terrible out there for winning money. Like how should it be? It should probably be how often does this player spike? How high are their spikes? Yep. And how likely do we think they're going to do it against their week 17 opponent? Um, yep. 
Like that, like that's probably something. So here, here's a concern that I think any DFS player would bring. So you, 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 you said this on uh, your stream with with Pete Overset as well. Like uh, you had, I think in the stream you did, you had uh, T Higgins and Jamar Chase in your lineup. You said that's correlation right there. Those players are positively correlated. Um, my concern would be so. So if you have, and in that lineup you have both T Higgins and Jamar Chase, you did not have Joe Burrow. Don't you have concerns there that? somebody else is going to have those two and Joe Burrow. And if they both do well, then Joe Burrow clearly did well, G- given their price tag. Are you, both- are you talking about my winning team? I don't believe I'm talking. Were they both in your winning team? If so, then maybe. My maybe. winning team was I had Chase and Boyd without Burrow. Okay. Chase and Boyd. Um, okay. Well, I mean, what, like to me, the, like we're talking about stacks. The quarterback yep. is the least important part of the stack where Joe, like whatever, if you have, Let's just talk about your example because it's yep. more cost prohibitive. If you have T Higgins and Chase and you don't take Joe Burrow, I think that's totally logical that T Higgins and Chase can ping pong in the playoff weeks and allowing yep. you to advance a lower owned uh, player. So maybe it like you, you do not want to count on both for week 17 because that's, it's less likely that you're going to get two pass catchers from the same team mm-hmm. to reach ceiling outcomes. Right. If we're yep. talking pure ceiling here, but you know, like what happened was I had Josh Allen and yeah, Joe Burrow did have, like, he didn't bury, like a quarterback is almost never going to be the piece that buries you in any best ball final. Like unless one quarterback scores 50 points and no other quarterback scores more than like 25, which you just don't, you don't see that. Right. And so I don't think that's a big deal about like, I think people also try to like force They'd rather have like a, like last year, they'd rather have like a stacked Baker Mayfield with a Browns pass catcher than Tyreek Hill and Baker Mayfield, which like, like take the players on the good teams and make it work with the quarterback is more what I would want to do there. And that, that makes sense to me. And that's something that I, I definitely fall into that trap sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take Trevor Lawrence because I have Christian Kirk already instead of taking Tua because I don't have any Miami pass catches. And that's, you know, I think that was a decision that I just made. And I think I went with Trevor Lawrence, but I was like really questioning myself. Cause I'm like, but Tua has Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. And I think well, he's that probably one is, like, that really depends how you view those two quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah I, I guess, but, but it's like, but, but that's a, the kind of math you need to be doing constantly. Yeah. Like, how much is a correlation worth versus projection? And sometimes, you know, it's better. Well, it's, and, and that it's case, what you lot, said earlier closer. too. People want to look at their teams and say, this looks nice. Yeah, like yep. you feel good when you have stacks and and the quarterbacks, but it's not always like I'll build some teams where I just draft a bunch of good players. And then my last four picks are quarterback and I'm taking whoever I think can score points there. I don't yep. care if I have a stack for them. Like if I have a stack, great. But if I have all players on like the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Bills, and then my quarterbacks are Carson Wentz, Marcus Mariota, like whoever, and I'm just going to get all the points from the skill positions and my quarterbacks are going to roughly match the um, whatever the, the superstars, or I just have more points in my skill positions than those teams because they took a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so you mentioned that you used to pay a lot more attention to week 15 and 16 uh, in terms of building your lineups. Do you still pay attention at all to week 15 or 16 game sex? Or are you, have you shifted completely to focusing on week 17 at this point? It's a happy accident. If I'm like stacked for those weeks or anything, um, it's not something I try to do at all. I'm aware of those, the juiciest schedules for that. Um, okay. 
also because I play the FFPC main event, which is a composite of weeks 15 through 17. So obviously that's important to know those match. Like I know the Broncos have a really good matchup. I know the, and I know teams have good matchups, but I'm not being like, Oh, I can't, I'm not trying to like, I know some people like, I think uh, Alex made an article about like stacking week 16. Mm-hmm. If you accept that you can't control for week 17, which like, I just don't accept that we can't like, I think we, I think we can. Okay. So that's why I would not do that. All right. So, so you're more focused on week. And you're facing against, we should mention like 15 people, 16 people in week 15, 16. You're not facing against 460 people. Yep. Um, All right. So, so while we were still, uh, we were just talking about um, stacking a little bit. So I wanted to bring back, so Eric by when he was on the show, he told me that he thinks that one of the bigger mistakes people make is over stacking, taking too many players with the quarterback. Uh, What's your take on that? How, How much do you think you should be stacking within a team? It depends on a couple of things. What is the team? What is the cost of the players? For example, and what's, and what's your take on what they're going to do? So yeah. if we talk about the Bills last year, I thought the Bills were going to run a lot of four wide receiver sets because that's what they did the year before. That turned out to be wrong. They ran, they, they ran Dawson Knox a lot, and they, that came at the expense of a fourth wide receiver. So last year, I would take... Uh, like the Cardinals and the Bills, I would take all four pass catchers on a team if I wanted because they run four wide receiver sets. And ultimately all it does is it puts a little bit more stress on your roster to be important week 17. But in my mind, it makes it easier to advance not only in the playoff rounds, but also in the regular season if you're right on the offense. So like if you would allow me to have all pass catchers on the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Like, I'm not like Xing out some of the Chiefs pass catchers because I took other ones with Patrick Mahomes. Same with the Bills. Would I do it on the Jets? No, I would not. Um, would I do it on the Bears? No, I would not. Right. Like, so it depends. And, and if it's really cheap, like I, in the other, I was doing a DK high stakes. Obviously, it's easier in 20 rounds too. I took like Carson Wentz with all his cheap pass catchers. Um, but, you know, I'm taking like, I'm getting stacks in the you know the 17th 18th 19th round so um i have some teams that are super stacked like that but i'm not trying to do it for every single team so but i don't think it's like a i don't think it's a mistake it really it really depends what overstacking means to you like in what area like i think the way i talked about it i don't think it's that bad but if, if overstacking means like they're trying to reach to get their quarterback and they're trying, like they're trying to reach skill position players on what I perceive to be bad offenses because they took a quarterback. Then I do think that's a mistake. So I would agree with Eric in that sense. Okay, so you know, there's not like a limit. Like I don't want more than three pass catchers from the same team uh, where I have the quarterback. You don't set a limit like that. It really just depends on what does it cost to get those pass catchers, kind of for you. And and how good do I think the player is? You yeah, because like wide receiver is a very talent position you know, analysis by me. Like I'll, I naturally have bigger stabs and bigger fades at the wide receiver position than running back and tight end, which I view as more like opportunity slash tight end is like literally who falls in the end zone for week 17 is how you make money. Right. Whereas like wide receiver is like, I'm more confident in who is good at football and who is going to be catching a lot of yards and touchdowns. Um, So, yeah, but like, you know, when it gets expensive, then it's, then it is a little tough. Like, you know, like, I don't know, all of the, like Chase and Higgins like that. I do that on some teams still because the case is there, 
but I do like for pure ceiling week 17, it's not ideal to have two expensive guys from the same offense. Right. Um, okay. Makes sense to me. All right. So we, we've got about 10 minutes left. Give or give or take. I sure. feel like we could we could talk about this kind of stuff forever, uh, but I'm gonna gonna try and get on some some uh, quick hitting questions. Uh, Let's hit them. Yeah. Uh, do you believe there is an optimal time to draft in best ball, like time of the year? Um, I draft throughout the off season. Last year I barbelled a lot early, a lot late. Yep. This year I did even more early, um, and was happy. I'm happy with that decision. I understand like, look, there's bull cases for both of them. And here's the bull case for drafting late is you're drafting with casuals, right? And you have more news. Um, The bull case for drafting early is you get unique player combinations that you can't ever get again, um, which makes sense to me too. So I do both. No, I don't think there's an optimal time. And every bit of news offers a new unique ADP landscape where it's okay to take a player who's risen in cost if you mix in a player who's fallen in cost, but you can be like way too many people are posting teams. They think are unique that I can build today because they don't realize that like half the players on their team have fallen, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's when you have a team where everyone has risen, that, that is a unique team. Okay. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm the same way. I've been, I've been building throughout the summer. I'll, I'll probably end up doing more late just because I didn't get through enough best ball drafts. So some more of them will be late, but yeah, I, I definitely build throughout. Glad. Uh, Yeah. Not to mention quality of life. Like you don't want to have to do a thousand best balls in a week. Like, yeah, exactly. Just difficult to, to make good lineups and not enjoyable at all. It does get uh, fatiguing to, to be building best ball drafts all the time. Uh, On that note, uh, slow drafts or fast drafts fast. Okay. 100% 100% exclusively fast drafts? I do slows in the high stakes when literally like all these people with their tail tucked between their leg, they won't fill the fast. Okay. Um, so literally the only the slows would fill in some of these. And I do, I will do some slows as, as the season comes up if I just can't get the volume in because the clock starts to speed up. Um, but for me, mental health wise, it's much better for me to do a fast for many reasons. I'm a rip it and be done. Like, I don't want to be, and people are so sweaty, man. Like the people who draft at like midnight to try to catch you on a clock or they want to catch injury news. Like, it's like, Jesus Christ, just rip your pick. Um, I understand if you have a family and whatnot and slow is all you can do. That's a different thing than I'm in. But for me, I don't want to be worrying about missing picks. I don't want to be auto drafting picks. And I'm like ADHD. Like I can hyper-focus, plug in, map it all out in a fast draft. When it's slow draft, I have to plug my... I have to go through like, what was I trying to do? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I actually do about 50, 50 of both. I found that, uh, you know, the, the benefit to doing slowdowns, you can do a million at once. Um, but yeah, I have to, I'm out. I, I kind of, it's less enjoyable because you get back into it and you're like, Wait, you're always I? on the clock. Yeah. And I, I try to, to cue players up that I want, like, so, so that I can, if those players are still available, I can remember, oh yeah, this is what I was trying to do in this draft, but uh, it doesn't always work out that way. So yeah, for, for me, there are pros and cons to both. I think that fast drafts are also like, if you are a quick thinker, there's a little bit more edge in fast drafts because there are people who are going to be, yes. oh, he took my quarterback and they just, you know, kind of fall apart and draft bad teams. So I think that, uh, yeah, there. And I'd like to see even faster clocks personally. Faster than 30 seconds. Wow. I would like to see. Like I think 15 seconds is like realistically the the shortest they could do an underdog, but I would like to see that. Um, and I think play, like I have a background, you know, I play chess, I play blitz chess, bullet chess. So 
know, I can play a chess game in a minute. Of course I can draft a team. True. Easy <laughs> I enough. make one pick in 30 seconds. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's the most tilted you've ever been during a best ball draft? If at all, right. that's a I'll really great question. And I try, I honestly try not to be tilted. And I think it's one of my strengths as a gambler is like, I really do try not to be tilted where if someone reaches to like explicitly try to ruin my team and like, I can tell they're trying to do that. I'm like, whatever I can make it up on the, like you cutting off your face does not help you. It does not help me. If it happens in a high stake draft, it does make me suspicious that like someone's trying to collude or something. Um, yeah. When like, if a guy next to me is taking all my quarterbacks and another dude, I, I don't know, but not to get out the tinfoil hat. Um, I can't, I don't have like a memory of like, I, I don't have a specific tilting memory. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I never know if people are actually trying to screw up your stacks and stuff, but there are certainly times for me where it's like, you just took that quarterback who you have no correlation with 25 picks ahead of ADP when I have both the receivers. And it's like, this feels like you're trying to screw up my draft, but uh, yeah, I, I try not to be too tinfoil had either, uh, either because, you know, maybe, maybe they just really like that quarterback. A lot yeah, I mean, in general, like doing. it's a waste of energy to be tilting, right? It like, is. It's just, it's just not a sharp thing to do. It takes you out of the like, right. So like, I think, you know, playing poker, you, you just have to manage tilt. It's a really long day. Not that I'm the best at like, in poker, it's boredom for me. Like, I right. usually am pretty good, and that's like kind of bored. Then that's why I like best ball too, because it's rip and be done. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's not worth tilting. Uh, it's hard not to sometimes when people really snipe you and it doesn't make sense for their like. Team I literally just can't. I can tell you the other day in a high stakes draft, I had Chase and Higgins, and uh, Dan Zach took Joe Burrow when I thought another quarterback correlated with him, and I thought that was confusing to me. And yeah. I didn't like he didn't try to get anyone in the back stack but i was like okay maybe he just really likes joe burrow you know like good for you um and again like the quarterback is the least important part of the stack so yeah. i get annoyed when there's a player i want right ahead of me and then that gets taken but it's like whatever you got to move on you make your pick you know I actually talked to Dan Zach and he, he told me that he did that because you rubbed him the wrong way. He kind of hated you after your interview. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't know Dan Zach, uh, but uh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. He just liked yeah, Joe Burrow. Dan, Dan, um, I mean, and, and I know like Dan is probably playing high stakes poker the whole day. So he, okay. I would guess he auto drafts some of his picks because he's making a much more financial decision than uh, making a best ball pick. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so you do all of the best ball sites. You do you do underdog. You do DraftKings. You do Drafters. You do FPPC, which I'm not FFPC, really familiar with. Yeah. FFPC. I'm not on. I'm not on like, and I'm. Th those are managed. Some most of FFPC. There's best ball there too, um, and there's some other fringe sites that I'm not on yet. Uh, like I don't. I don't do Yahoo. I don't do Fanduel. Yeah. Um, they don't really have big tournaments. They just have kind of like cash game. No, and I'm not. Ball. And I'm not a cash game strictly yeah. tournaments. Okay, me too. Uh, do do you have a favorite of the best ball sites? I mean, gotta say underdog, right? Like I, that's what I figured. You got to go with one where you won the million, won the million bucks. I mean, honestly, like I, I'm such a visual person that the lack of draft board on DraftKings like literally pains me not have not having that. But like that's yeah. an easy way for me to see how many picks do I have left. What is this person do? Like it's just such a pain to do it. Um, I do like 
DraftKings for the high stakes, though. Like the, you know, you, that's just scratching degenerate energy, though. Because right, I, right. I, I like the way they've structured their high stakes better than Underdog, where Underdog, um, you know, sponsor my channel, love Underdog, but they seem to be, they want the contest a bit flatter. They want, you know, which makes sense. Like you want more people to have a positive experience and. I like, I like that DK it's like 250 K to first, you know, rather than like 20 K on a one K buy-in. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So we, we are running out of time. So I'm just going to close out with uh, the question that I ask everybody at the end of the stream. You, uh, you might have an obvious answer for this one. Tell me about your favorite DFS or best ball win and or win celebration. I mean, we got to go with best ball mania too. Um, I've had a couple close, banks in my life to be honest with you a couple sweats in dfs in dfs where it's like oh, holy shit i could win the millie maker um like finishing top you know 100 whatnot like i and like if if i made the right swap or whatever like i still remember some of those sweats um and it's funny with best ball because i is last year was my second year playing and my my boys group from home who i was on the bachelor party with i would I text them as the season starts going. I'm like, boys, can I get a week 14 in the chat? And they're like, they don't gamble. They're like, week 14. Like, boys, can I get a week 15 in the chat? Week 15, you know? And so then they were with me in the bachelor party in Key West for me winning. Um, I mean, they they had to leave for the Monday night game, you know, and you got to wait for the score changes, whatever. But it was essentially locked in. I was winning, um, barring like Nick Chubb scoring 100 fantasy points. Yeah. Um, and so gotta go with best ball mania too we'll never forget that yeah and to win it at a bachelor party is uh that's pretty amazing that's like legendary yeah. yeah the absolute dream uh all right uh liam where where can people find you uh you can see me on twitter at chess liam i got a youtube just liam murphy on youtube um don't know how much more co- you know, like gonna t- be taking a break again i'm i'm sick right now so gonna take a rest but yeah just you can see me on twitter thanks for having me on neil Right on. Well, thank you, Liam, for coming on uh, episode 21, a.k.a. season two, episode one of High Stakes. Thanks to Mike Lawrence for producing, as always. And thank you for watching. Uh, Enjoy your weekend and uh, I'll catch you next time.